Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the second part of our series, Rome, The Decline of Democracy. I'm once again joined with Brett, and where we last left our discussion, Caesar had just crossed the Rubicon and is on the verge of taking over Rome by brute force. Brett, would you like to continue our story? Sure, Aaron. Thanks for having me again. As you said, Julius Caesar has just crossed the Rubicon. He wouldn't he refused to disband the legions that he raised during his campaigns in Gaul and the the republic led by his one-time ally now enemy Pompey Magnus wanted him you know they wanted his head right mm. they were ready to to i mean they did this at the time they were ready to crucify him for uh his crimes against the Republic, uh, which included things like bribery, extortion, and illegally raising legions. But he had other plans, obviously. Caesar was not going to go quietly into that good night. And so Caesar crosses the Rubicon. He famously utters the phrase, the die has been cast, and he takes the 13th legion across the Rubicon into Rome, officially kicking off a civil war. When Caesar arrives, interestingly enough, he finds Rome abandoned. Not mm. uh, totally abandoned, but like the, the governing apparatus is, is gone. What had happened was Pompey and the other senators had decided that they were not going to be able to defeat Caesar then and there. So what they did is they took their armies and they took the, the whole government, the whole Senate, the, the assembly, uh, everything that lends legitimacy to the Roman government, they took it across the Adriatic to like the eastern part of the empire. And Pompey had had allies there, and they were going to amass their power, amass their forces, and then they would strike back at Caesar. And he re and this was an illegal maneuver for him to take this army. I think you discussed this last time. Him moving into Rome with that army was just right off the bat. He could have been arrested. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, he could have been arrested if he didn't have an army with him. But yes, it's the, the way Rome works is you're, when you're a consular or a pro or a, a pro praetor or a, a pro consular, you know, someone with authority, you're just a government bureaucrat. Right. Or, you know, what? I, let's just do an analogy. The general of the United States Army, when he is in the United States has no authority over his troops. He cannot be, he cannot make, he cannot order them to, he cannot order them to do stuff. The second you step foot out of the country's soil, you gain your power and you're able to order them to do things. But then when you return, you cross that border back, you're supposed to become a private citizen again. Right. right. And there's like the usage of like the National Guard. They kind of serve as that. Like if, if there is a issue that goes beyond local police or local officials and the National Guard, but there's there has to be some kind of, I think, uh, teamwork or some kind of permission from the state government and the federal government in order to utilize the National Guard in order to do things. Right. And they didn't have, they didn't have a, um, a national guard. They didn't even, they didn't have a police force, right? The way it worked in Rome was you're a consular, which is basically like a general. When you leave Rome, you're, you gain your soldiers. And then when you cross back into Rome, you relinquish your command. And those soldiers go from being your soldiers to being Rome soldiers again. By crossing the Rubicon in 49 BC, when, when you cross the Rubicon in 49 BC, 
and you di- and he didn't relinquish command of his soldiers, that was illegal. It was worse than illegal. It was treason. Wow. Right? wow. He was now an invading army. I'm wondering how the average citizen sort of view this was there like a split in in rome of like whoa caesar's doing something illegal but we love him and that's okay i think also of like napoleon he did something very similar where he comes back from exile and that's totally illegal but people love the guy so much that he's able to kind of ride on that charisma and ride on the coattails of just people loving him so much yeah uh people loved caesar he was when he came back he was really he was very he was hyper aware of his situation (laughs) <laughs> which was, which was, he was at the head of an invading army, marching on friendly territory, and the uh, the official governing apparatus was gone. Wow. There was no, there was no like senate to like bully into giving him. He not even like the charade of like you tell the senate to do stuff and then the senate does stuff and you're like, see, government's working fine, right? Like, <laughs> there was no one there. He he didn't have any official. If he made an edict, he was basically if he made an edict, he'd be forming his own government at that point, right? So the people who vacated Rome, like the senate that vacates, they know that the game is over. Like they 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 at that point realize like let's just get the hell out of here. This guy's clearly in charge, and it doesn't matter what rules we have on paper. He's here with a huge army. We just need to save our lives at this point. Sort of. They the, they knew the Senate's plan was Caesar is is treasonous and he has large armies, but without the official governing apparatus of Rome, he'll have trouble staying in power because how do you make rules and enforce them when the government's gone? Right. Right. Um, he the, and Pompey had um, wealthy uh, clients and patrons in the East. And he, their plan was fall back. Winter is coming. Allow us to get reinforced and then go back and retake Rome. It was not necessarily they knew they were dead. It was more of a, a strategic retreat, not at all dissimilar to America's move during the War of 1812 to allow England to burn down the White House in Washington, D.C. It's not that they knew they couldn't win. It was like, whatever, let it happen. We have other plans. We'll come back even harder tomorrow. Okay, yeah, just a strategic battle move of like, let the dude rule for a while. Like, we're not prepared to to face him head on, but we, we got something. Okay, so what happens next? So Caesar arrives to find a mostly empty city. The people are a little weary of him. Uh, They're not outright against him, but they're a little nervous, right? The government packed up and left. He calms him down with the help of his his lieutenant, Mark Antony, who's going to be really important later. And he immediately presses to pursue Pompey and Mm. his and his legions. Right. At this point, uh, Pompey outnumbers Caesar by a little bit. Caesar begins the civil war. It immediately starts with the besiege of Massalia, which is a, a Roman city. Um, but Caesar's very careful to treat everyone with respect. Hmm. He, when the generals surrender and they expecting to be killed, he tells them, you're free to go. You're free to return to your home and s- s- back whoever you want. Caesar was already wrapping himself in an air of legitimacy. He was already playing as a he was already playing himself as like the wounded party who's defending himself from unjust laws 
I also want to touch upon something because I think he's using a very good technique of like benevolent mercy. Whereas when we try and solidify power, we think the most powerful person is the guy who has like the most blood on his hands and kills the most people. But it's actually like the ultimate form of power to be like, I am so powerful that I'm going to let you live right now and redeem yourself because that that's like the ultimate confidence play where it's like, I'm so confident that I'm running the show here that I know you have no way to possibly rebel against me down the line. I'm going to let you live. Absolutely. And beyond just a power move and it, like just a baller power move to do that. It's, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, beyond that, it's, it's also those, those enemies become allies. Yes. It, they, yeah. Dead people don't vote and they don't fight in wars, but living people who you sh- showed mercy to uh, very much so become your allies. They're in your pocket now. Exactly. Yes. And that's what was happening. So when Caesar arrived uh, back in Rome, Caesar had allies. He had people who liked him and wanted him there. He had some legitimacy, not a lot, but he had, he had some. Pompey has at this point left Rome with his allies, with most of the Senate, and is marshalling his forces for an attempt to retake the capital and end this civil war. Caesar follows him immediately. And the, 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 the interesting thing about this is that Pompey did not believe Caesar was going to be able to follow him so quickly because the way the Roman calendar worked was there were no leap years. And so time was on like a constant downward slide. And <laughs> it was the job of the Pontifex Maximus, which was a, a, like a kind of like quasi-religious, quasi-government role in Rome to, among other things, add to the calendar, fix the days. Caesar was the Pontifex Maximus, but he had been, he had been too busy war, waging war in Gaul to to fix the calendar and so it was off by like two months and so they thought that they were fleeing the city in like in like november and that it was going to be winter soon and the crossing was going to be too dangerous but it was really like like late august and so they thought they had plenty of time but Caesar completely by accident messed up the calendar such that he was able to cross and it, it completely threw the, the loyalist, if you will, the loyalist forces for a loop. Right. I love that. The the person who, you know, there's the, uh, the pen is mightier than the sword, but if you control time, whoa, now, now that's the ultimate weapon right there. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I I wouldn't, yeah. It controls time. So Julius Caesar follows Pompey and a a battle uh, engages. During this time, Julius Caesar is constantly trying to parlay with Pompey's forces because Caesar, he's not looking for a fight. He's looking to legitimize what he's done. He wants his criminal record expunged. He wants his legion. He wants to keep his legions. He does not want to fight Pompey right now, right? Pompey is the legitimate heir of or the legitimate ruler of rome at the moment along with the senate who's following him but the senate likes pompey's uh his odds about half of julius caesar's army is still in rome and the senate at this point are like debating on like how they're going to divide up julius caesar's estates how they're going to divide up his army who's going to get control of what and they lost 
right? In a huge upset, Julius Caesar was such a brilliant tactician. Uh, Julius Caesar defeats Pompey. He, it's, it's not, it's, it starts as like kind of a close fight and then just turns into a, a, a complete massacre. This is a year after crossing the Rubicon and Pompey's forces are in disarray. Uh, Pompey flees, he, flees the battle. Uh, he, he dresses in like a, a complete, ca- uh, I don't want to say coward's move, but might as well. In a complete coward's move, Pompey dresses as like a, 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 like a, a slave. <laughs> and flees, leaving his wife and his children and all of his his gold behind to escape death. He flees to Egypt, who's huh. an ally of Rome. The specifically, uh, specifically the um, the Egyptians owe like a debt to Rome, and he's hoping to cash in on that debt to raise more armies and turn around and wage the war. Because Pompey has allies not just in the east, but in the far west as well, in the Iberian Peninsula, right, and North Africa. So it's kind of, uh, you know, fleeing to fight another day kind of strategy. Exactly. So the problem is, is that the ruling class in Egypt, the Ptolemies, spelled with a P, the Ptolemies are siding with Caesar on this one. He Mm. does not know that, but they are siding with Caesar. And the second he arrives in Egypt, he's assassinated. The legend goes that he's beheaded. And then when Caesar arrives in Egypt, chasing on the heels of Pompey, they present Caesar like a a platter with Pompey's head on it. Whoa, 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 whoa! That's um, it's like some nice, That's some interesting visual imagery there, right? And like, how many days was that head just uh, lingering around there? Was this like a year later? Here's a uh, here's a skull of. <laughs> I you know I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it was probably like a month later, maybe. <laughs> That's my guess. Yeah, right? That's funny. It was within a year. I know that for sure. It was within a year as Caesar arrives behind Pompey. Do you think that Caesar would have been, like, happy? What do you, what, like, if you had to guess, like, what his response would be to, to that situation, you might say happy, right? Man, I, I, I want to say, but there, there seems like this guy has a lot of cards up his sleeve. So I'm, I, I, I'm, oh, curious, yeah. to, I'm curious to hear what's going through his head. So he's actually furious. Whoa. He is beyond angry. He needed Pompey alive. He needed Pompey alive because he needed Pompey, the, the, the president, basically, to forgive Caesar. Hmm. He, what, what he, he wanted this like, huge coup where he would, you know, obviously under threat of death, uh, force Pompey to say, like, Caesar, I forgive you. We're friends now. This is all <laughs> understanding. You are absolved of everything, and you can continue your role in the government and whatever. He needed that. But that's that's interesting. So even with all of this military muscle and power, in the back of Caesar's mind, he's still like, okay, I still need to kiss this guy's ring, or, or there still has to be some kind of uh, reconciliation process. Like there is some sort of authority that I need to be, that I need to ask forgiveness or, or receive some kind of acceptance from. It's his military muscle might alone is not enough to, to, to rule the day, basically. Let's imagine it, let's, let's do a modern day analogy. Um, Imagine the president of the United States has the military in his pocket. It's, and, and his goal is to subject the country to martial law. He, he has the military. He could do it. He could march them into 
he could march them into New York Harbor and be like, you're all under control of the military now, do what we say. If he also has the support of the New York state courts, hmm. who are not, I mean, they're a bunch of old people. They're not much good in a fight, right? Yeah, right. But if he had the support of the courts as well, he could make his occupation legal. Huh. And more people would be willing to bend the knee and be like, okay, I accept this military occupation of my city because my own court system said it was okay. Ah, okay. So it's, it's basically building a coalition of legitimacy. You nailed it. 100%. <laughs> he is building, he is building a coalition of legitimacy. He's trying to build a coalition of legitimacy. He's trying to like, almost like retroactively legitimize things that he's done. Mm, mm. and come out of this as not just a hero, but as like the guy who was doing what he was supposed to be doing all along. Got and it. He, and he needed the president to be alive for that to happen. <laughs> and, and he wasn't. And so he was really, really angry. During this time, to, uh, Egypt is ruled by a boy king named mm. Ptolemy. He has a sister, um, someone who most people have not really heard of, uh, Cleo something. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's terrible. Uh, he, he has a sister, Cleopatra, who is been exiled. Uh, Egypt is not really ruled by the Ptolemies at this point. It's ruled right. by like v- viziers and, and um, advisors, right? And they believed, correctly so, that the, like the, the 10-year-old kid would be easier to control than, than the teenage girl who... Yeah has all of these machinations for, for rulership and plans for policy. So she was ousted, right? And um, her brother is ruling solely. But this was, not the, this was not the wish of their father. And Caesar knows this. And so Caesar, <laughs> Caesar is, he's angry. And he's like, and while we're at it, Egypt is a vassal state of Rome. Why don't I help you guys sort out your little secession problem you're having? And obviously, the the, the ruling power is not at all happy with this. Right? right, right. They don't want this. They don't want Caesar in their city. They don't want... They don't want meddling, right? They're in power and they want to keep it that way. It's like like the uh, it's like when the big boss comes down to the franchise and they're like, okay, just put up a good act, okay? Or like, hopefully the, the big boss leaves soon and we can go back to the way it was. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> and then the big boss is like, and we have some policy changes and everyone's like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, doing their best to fight it. And so the ruling, the ruling party, the Ptolemies, um, and I'll call them the Ptolemies because even though Cleopatra is also a Ptolemy, she's better known as herself, as Cleopatra, right? So Ptolemy's forces, they're, they're kind of like pretending they're paying lip service to Caesar while all the while they're kind of like fomenting unrest in the city and they're kind of convincing the people we need to get these, these Roman invaders out of our city, right? We need to get them out of Alexandria. Um, and then Caesar will be like, I noticed that there's a lot of protests going on lately and a lot of rioting. And then Ptolemy is like, oh, we didn't know nothing about that. We're as confused as you are. Right. And Caesar is so it's like it's almost like everyone knows what's going on. But the game of politics doesn't allow them to just like outright and say, like, stop doing this or I'll have you killed or get out of our, our city or we'll have you assassinated. Things come to a head. Eventually, Caesar is like barricaded in the city with like the few legions that came 
ahead with him to speak with Ptolemy. Cleopatra smuggles herself into the royal palace. She impresses Caesar. Caesar is going to use her, basically, right? They're going to use is that cover. is that story true that she kind of uh, crawled up into a carpet or something, or is that just legend? Yeah, she was rolled up in a carpet and had <laughs> one of her servants like brought into the palace under the guise of doing laundry, and then she was like dumped out on the floor during like a war meeting. <laughs> um, I mean, we. We only have like a couple of accounts of that happening and little <laughs> events like that are difficult to like prove or disprove. Yeah, yeah. It could have happened. It's not out of the realm of the possible that it could have happened. It's not so ridiculous. Um, so what's going on now is the, the Alexandrian forces need to kill Caesar and push his small cadre of legionnaires out. While mm. Caesar needs to delay while the rest of his army, which was still engaged with mopping up in Pompey, make it to, to Egypt. Because Caesar's legionnaires, they outnumber them. And it would be like it would be like like the United States Marines versus like 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 the Swedish like police force you know wow, what i mean wow. it, it, like it's it's so such a difference in experience and 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 equipment and and numbers you know like it, it would be ridiculous uh so there's this little like kind of like one of like the first like guerrilla wars fought in the known world where like they're fighting house to house they're fighting street to street they're locking down buildings they're desperately trying to survive um they do Caesar's forces arrive on the outskirts of the city and they get Caesar's forces out. A battle is pitched and Ptolemy is drowned in the Nile, hmm. right? And Egypt is crushed. But because Caesar, and this was his plan all along, was Caesar wanted to use Cleopatra, right? Cleopatra, at the end of this war, Cleopatra knows that she's going to be the ruler of Egypt. And she knows that she owes that entirely to Caesar. Yes. Who came yeah. in and basically wiped the old regime off the map and installed her as the ruler. And she is a legitimate ruler, right? She is the, the sister of the king. So Egypt is, is pretty okay with this. They like Cleopatra. Cleopatra is the first, the first royal family member in like generations to speak Egyptian. Hmm. A lot of people... Uh, erroneously assume Cleopatra is Egyptian or that any of the ruling class in Egypt is Egyptian. They are not. They are Greek. The Ptolemies hail back to the general Ptolemy who was under, who uh, was one of like the four great generals of Alexander the Great, if you know your, your Greek history. Yeah. So when, when Alexander the Great died, the, I want to say it's four, four great generals, um, they like split up his empire. Ah, okay. And, and Ptolemy took Egypt. When Alexander the Great died, he, he said, I give my empire to the strongest. Huh. Um, and all four generals, you know, Cassander, Ptolemy, Antagonus, and Seleucius were like, okay, obviously that means me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, Always write a will, folks. That's yeah, the, <laughs> that, that's the moral of the story. And the the Seleucius, I don't know the other two, but I know Seleucius was in, in the Far East. And from his, 
he took that whole area and grew what it was called the Seleucid Empire. And uh, Ptolemy was in Egypt and he started the the Ptolemic Empire or dynasty, mm. the Ptolemic dynasty. So it's not that they were appointed to rule there by Alexander. It's his general. They Alexander already controlled the territory and the general just like mosey on down there. And was ah. like, I'm in charge now. Right. Okay. And also Ptolemy had the distinguished this the was distinguished in that he also took the corpse of alexander with him and had it entombed in alexandria you know it's it's just so funny these people always like no matter how powerful you get you always have to have some something you can point to that legitimizes why you're there no matter how much it's just it's always like you have to have some kind of necklace or or some some type of token or or some i'm like three percent royal blood or something and, and and I just find that fascinating that that no matter how much of a dictator you become, you always point to something that allows you to be in power. Absolutely. And so in that case, it's Cleopatra. It's it's in her blood, and for Julius Caesar, it's Cleopatra. Um, Julius Caesar then takes a few months off to tour the Nile River with Cleopatra, introducing Egypt to their new ruler. Um, and during this touring, Cleopatra actually gives birth to Caesar's offspring a Mm. child named Caesarian, right? Or little Caesar. Caesar eventually makes it back to Rome and sees that the guy he put in charge, Mark Antony, is doing a really terrible job. He has him taken out of power. He assumes control of the city. He starts passing edicts left and right. Um, He has the Senate that is now firmly in his pocket grant him dictatorial powers for, he has them grant him a bunch of titles right? Titles are really important in ancient Rome. Titles uh, in Rome are the equivalent to like appointed positions in the United States. It would be like if you had the Senate confer, it would be, imagine if it would be like if the Senate approved Mitch McConnell as a Supreme Court justice, Mm. but he was still a Senator at the same time. Wow. Yeah. Total conflict of interest. Right. I don't know if that's technically illegal. It might be. Yeah. I I don't think yeah, I, I couldn't imagine that you could, because I think as a Supreme Court justice, you have to sort of prove that your interests lie with the Constitution. And I think being a senator would kind of conflict with that. I mean, we say it, but is it at like a handshake agreement that, I, yeah, someone, probably, that someone could do it and be like, it's not technically against the rules? It would be really tough for, uh, you know, for, for him to get voted in. To the, to the Supreme, to prepare him to get uh, the Senate's approval to get uh, into the Supreme Court. Right, but it could if, for example, the, the Senate was being controlled by one person. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so he, he has something like that happening, right? Where he's being granted titles and positions and dictatorial power. He's consular. Um, he's getting ready for an invasion of Persia, right? The year is... 46 BC, and he's killing it, right? Mm. He is at the height of his power right now. Um, He's the richest person in Rome by a long shot. He's basically the sole owner of Egypt now. He owns a whole country. He is wealthy beyond what we can even fathom, right? A trillionaire. Wow. Multi-trillionaire. In two years, he will be dead. Hmm. Right. Hmm. He will be dead in two years to the hands of the, his fellow senators. And 
he while he's planning the you know we were talking earlier about how advantageous it is to keep your enemies alive but you know in some cases it doesn't work out so great and caesar was a populari right and his optimate opponents in the senate did not like this idea of land distribution. They did not like this idea of one man ruling the empire. They wanted democracy, right? But they were not like freedom loving, libertarian, whatever. They wanted things to go back to the way they were when they had power. That's what they wanted. It need, right. that need, I think that needs to be made clear is that they were not like patriots. So they, they're, they're kind of like, Biding their, they're smiling on the outside, but they're sort of biding their time and being like, we're not powerful enough yet. We're not powerful enough yet. We're not powerful enough yet. But we, we, we're not going to let this guy rule forever. It's just we don't have the chance. It's not so much that they were waiting, amassing power so much as like, you know, like how does any political figure get assassinated? It's like things just get worse and worse and worse and worse until you reach a breaking point. And then they're like, we have no choice. And by worse, I mean worse for them specifically. The city of Rome was actually doing quite well. People love Caesar. They absolutely loved him. Like they loved most popular, right? Right. Um, and the senators were afraid that Caesar was kind of like making himself out to be a king. And he was. There are like little urban legends where like, so, like, someone quote unquote put like a, a crown on a on a statue of caesar right and then like when caesar discovered it he like read the room before he decided to have it removed right and then like there was like a, a festival where mark antony like approached caesar and offered him a crown and told him the people wanted him to be king and then again caesar did that thing where you like you you gauge the approval of the crowd and then hmm. they were silent uh and then caesar was like i don't want this crown are you kidding me get that out of here but it's wow. like wow <laughs> this guy is very methodical like he's in what he's doing is that he, he he knows that he can swoop the power very quickly but he's sort of gently testing the waters and then because it's, it's he's giving himself uh what's that phrase um plausible deniability where it? It, where it's like no 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 oh oh you don't like me being king no i was just joking around with you guys he just kept going no it's a prank i was pranking you it's a social experiment i'm not really being king um but it kept happening right and the senate did not were not stupid they noticed and the breaking point for them which is so dumb is like there was a point where uh they like asked to speak with him and he like didn't get up from his chair to greet them, which was like a sign of huge disrespect. And they were like, okay, we need to do something. So they formed a coalition and they tricked him into coming to a meeting on the Senate floor um, and they assassinated him. They stabbed him to death. So this, the, you know, I really want to just, this is actually really important because we tend to underestimate the trickster, like like the person who's, doing these things with the crown and I'm not getting up. And these are like small little gestures. Like these are small little acts of defiance. And it's very easy for people. Like I'm sure it was easy for the regular Roman citizen to be like, oh, that's Caesar. He's just funny. He's just a trickster. He's just like, you know, he, he's very flamboyant. But it's interesting that these other people 
were very privy to what he was doing, that, that he was kind of using this trickster-like mentality to kind of consolidate even more power. And then if he needed to regress a little bit, he could just make it seem as if it was a giant joke. Yeah, the, the senators were hyper aware of what Caesar was doing, particularly because he was not, like we discussed in the earlier episode, he was not the first one to do it. Uh, Sulla and um, Marius, sorry, Sulla and Marius did the same thing, taking control of the city and, and amassing power to, to achieve their agendas. The difference was that Caesar seemed to be taking it a little bit further, where mm. he had no, it did not seem like he had any intention to give up his dictatorial power. Um, Dictatorial power was an official thing in Rome. You could be given dictatorial power during cases of extreme danger where you needed the, the people in charge to be able to move unilaterally. Right. Typically, it was given in during a period of months. Caesar had it granted to him for like five years, then 10 years, then forever. Um, keep in mind that all this is happening in like a couple of years. Caesar crosses the Rubicon in 49 BC, and literally five years later, he's murdered. So it's it's like he knows, like he's smart enough to know not to just declare himself emperor or king or any of these other things. He keeps trying to like use his legal scholars or his legal acumen to keeping, oh, well, there's an emergency here. I need some military extension on my power for just another year or two years or five years. So it's, it's this interesting idea that power is a very, it's slowly, and I think like if you think of Hitler, he does the same exact thing. He sort of works his way up from chancellor and then slowly is climbing that ladder. It's not this like, it's not this like, I'm king now, end of story. It's this very slow climb to the top. Oh yeah, I mean it's 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 a story as old as time of like you scare the people and then you're like, I need more authority to protect you from this threat, and that's in Caesar's case the threat was, ironically, the Middle East. Um, <laughs> the, no, I'm serious. It's uh, that's what he was getting ready to wage war in when he was murdered. Um, so. So Caesar is killed by his fellow senators who yeah. are, you know, the, the A2 Brute. Yes. Right? <laughs> which, which he probably did not say, just for the record. That was a Shakespearean <laughs> thing. But he probably was, kill- he was killed by Brutus, and, um, among other senators. And they, they leave the Senate House believing that they have done a service to democracy. They think that they have successfully saved the, their country from tyranny. They are so, so wrong. All they have done is ensure that it, it will, it's, 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 it's dead. They're like the death blow almost. You can trace it back to them. Because one, they had no plan for who would step into the power vacuum that Caesar had, cre- that Caesar, that they'd created when they killed Caesar. Um, make sure, here's some advice for you. If you're going to assassinate someone, make sure you have some, you have something to stick into the power vacuum. Otherwise, you're just going to create war and unrest as people fight over the corpse of, you know, the old ruler. And two, the senators who killed him, the optimates, were seriously out of touch with regular Roman people. Okay. Seriously out of touch. People loved Caesar. He made the, he, he threw tons of festivals for them. He made them rich. He, he enabled them to live more comfortably through the, the pillaging of Gaul, through the pillaging of Egypt, 
right? Mm. Like when he took Egypt, he, he didn't just like put Cleopatra in charge and go like, okay, see you next week or see you next year. He, you know, taxed the, 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 the dickens out of them, you know, like they, uh, <laughs> So these these senators in many regard in many respects they're doing the opposite of what Caesar did. Like Caesar was constantly testing the waters and be like, oh, the crown, no crown. Whereas these senators are just like, let's kill this guy already. It's been two years. Let let's just kill him. Whereas maybe they should have put in more work in coming up with legitimacy and coming up with a replacement plan for Caesar. Like, like, okay, we're going to get rid of Caesar. Here's how we're going to gradually phase him out. And we're going to put this guy in charge and so forth. But because they kind of just lost their cool in that moment and killed him, they didn't do the hard work of, of building up the next form of government or the next big thing to take over. A, a nice analogy might be, imagine if the president of the United States like unilater unilaterally breaks up Amazon, mm. right? And then he, the, the, pre the president, let's just say he, the president uh, breaks up Amazon and uh, and forces the little companies to hire more people, forces, and then he goes and he goes, I'm raising the minimum wage to $30 an hour. And everyone, you know, and then he goes, I am forcing the, these, these stores to lower all their prices. And then someone comes along and they're like, we're going to impeach the president. And they go through all of the, the legal requirements to do so, and they and the president is now impeached. And they're like, people are going to love us. This president was acting unilaterally. They were breaking the law. And we, following the law, got rid of him. People are going to love this. And then people are like, okay, but now I'm going from my $30 an hour job working for a small company to no job because Jeff Bezos is back in power. Why did you think I would like this? I'm furious. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, they, they weren't reading the room proper. Like, like you said earlier, like Caesar was a master of reading the room. And if he saw yeah. people staring at him and being like, no, sir, you can't act that way. He was like, okay, okay, not today. But they're not realizing that the Romans, the average Roman citizen is doing quite well under Caesar. And they're just ripping the turkey dinner from their plates. Absolutely. They thought they were going to be heroes and they became outcasts. Wow. Um, they also, another mistake they made was they didn't kill Mark Antony, who mm. was Caesar's number two. And Mark Antony, when he learns of Caesar's death, actually fled for his life thinking he was next and was confused and maybe a little offended that no one came after him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he ends up returning to Rome and he delivers a stunning eulogy where he like, burns the the senators for having caesar kill for killing caesar again a lot of there's this era is has a lot of good quotes a lot of famous things you know <laughs> crossing the rubicon the die has been cast mark antony very famously in his eulogy of caesar friends romans countrymen lend me your ears <laughs> i you know like you've heard that that is <laughs> yeah. these are these are this is a a, a really important time in history and he he turns the public even more against the 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 senators and mm. they actually go into self-exile for fear of their lives caesar names in his will mark antony believed he was going to be caesar's heir because that was a very common thing in rome was like what you would just like when you were leaving your money behind you would be like i post i posthumously adopt you and also leave all my money to my son you right like that's that's what they would do and so mark antony was expecting that 
what actually ended up happening was Caesar's nephew, a boy, a sickly boy named Octavia, Gaius Octavius Octavian, was posthumously adopted by Caesar, changing his name to some ridiculous string of words like Gaius Octavius Octavian Caesar or something like that. All four of those words mixed up. <laughs> he became Caesar's heir and inherited Caesar's fortune, along with a huge target on his back for now being the next Caesar, along with essentially inheriting some of Caesar's legions, right? That loyalty that those people had for Caesar, it transferred to him and to Mark Antony. No wonder Mark he takes the Caesar name, puts it right into his own name. He's like, oh, it's, <laughs> it's his whole career is him beginning of his career the whole beginning of his career is him trying to show how similar he is to his uncle now father his uncle his father caesar julius i guess i should say because they're both caesars now so some of the so mark antony is 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 furious mark antony is rich in his own right and because mark antony is was number two for caesar's legions mark antony gets a lot of that loyalty but octavius that's how I'll refer to him for now. Octavius also gets a lot of this loyalty and a lot of these are, and so now the Senate is in self-exile or they're about to be in self-exile rather. And Octavius and Mark Antony have lots of military power, lots of clout, lots of money. And, you know, the next civil war is, is about to kick off and it's going to be fought between Mark Antony and Octavius over all the, the power vacuum that Caesar left behind. And the Senate is going to do its best to kind of like nose its way in and try to take control of the government that they started when they murdered Caesar. And we'll see that they, they can't. These, these two forces are too much for them. And the two forces between battling each other are like crushing the Senate and they're crushing the pro-democracy part of, of Rome. And by the end of it, there just will be nothing left. Absolutely. Wow, Brad. I think that's a wonderful place to leave off. I, I think I think Caesar alone is a, a story that we can draw many, many parallels from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially looking at our own government, we should be noticing these patterns of appealing to the lowest common denominator of, of like how dangerous it is when people start bending the rules, when people start kind of like acting in their own self-interest under the guise of everyone's self-interest. We need to be weary of that. And the funny thing is, is that we also have to be weary of the comedian or we have to be weary of, and I, I talk with another person on my show, Roger, about the idea that it's really the trickster or the fool that we kind of have to be, I'm not calling Caesar a fool. I don't think he had that persona, but he did have a, a, a way about him where he could sort of take five steps backwards and be like, I'm joking. Uh, and, I think that's something that we need to, because we always think that the next tyrant is going to be ultra serious and ultra um, like, I am powerful now, you must obey me. But it might come in a much more benign packaging. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll see when we discuss Augustus Caesar that it's a slow, gradual process of stripping away rights, stripping away authority. And it's not, it's not always 
people like fighting against a dictator who's imposing their will. Sometimes it's it's willing, right? Uh, people willingly, and and again, we're even seeing that today, where people will are like will are like willing to look the other way if if the system is running in their favor. But what they're going to see, as history will show us, is that that it's not good for it's it what like it works for now but the second the opposition gets in power it swings back against you and a lot that ground once it's lost is lost forever yes absolutely uh brett thank you once again for being on the show thank you for having me aaron this concludes the second part of our series rome the decline of democracy i'm aaron azrod <laughs>